La Harry's noun, she's here in town, to do down to brown. Yeah, I don't really have a singing career ahead of me, but I just wanted to mark the occasion, guys. This is our first uh, legit episode, and I'll be interviewing a dear friend named Charu Subramanian. And um, today's episode is going to be about fob shaming, which if you look it up, it's not really a term you'll find in academia or anywhere, really. But it's also not to say that if I, Lahari Rao, have invented it, it is really me taking two terms and putting them together to do a form of reference for something that we all know, which is this culture of FOBs, which is stands for fresh off the boat. It belongs to a lot of countries. It's not exclusive to Indian culture or South Asian culture. And it's usually used, Urban Dictionary actually says, as a derogatory term to describe Asians or insert any other culture. And then we know shaming is sort of that painful feeling that you get when you're conscious of something dishonorable or improper. So when you put them two together, just imagine, like, let me pause. Imagine making someone feel conscious or dishonorable or improper for being from a culture and maybe adhering more to those norms, right? And this is something that I'll speak for myself. I feel really embarrassed when I look back and think about how I used fob culture as a way to reclaim to a certain point about certain experiences that we all shared as Indian American in my case. But we took that and we kind of bullied each other or our parents for being fobs. And so that's sort of the tone of today is Charu and I talk about how fob culture and shaming has showed up with our experiences, especially growing up, our relationship with language and social experiences, how we became more self-aware about it, the isolation it led to, and ultimately what we've done to process, acknowledge, and move on from it and be much more productive about this. The reason I chose my friend Charu for this is because not only is she super smart and comes with a lot of background about audiences um, and especially diverse audiences from her background in marketing but she herself moved from India to America a little later in life around sixth grade and she has experienced both cultures and brings a duality that I think is super valuable perspective also we both lived together in UC Davis we met when she was working and I was a student so she was much cooler than me And as we were getting to know each other, one of the first things we bonded over was our love and admiration for our landlord, Jimmy Chan, who was this very sweet older gentleman. And he would go to these weekly Buddhist workshops or study groups, and he would come back. And knowing that Charu and I both had an affinity for the philosophies of the Dalai Lama, he would tell us what he learned that week. And I remember our favorite story that we refer to is when he taught us you go into a shop and you see a $100 shirt and a $20 shirt. But in the end of the day, shirt is shirt. So get the $20 shirt. I think Jimmy Chan was on to the it is what it is line that now Michelle Obama has really made famous much earlier than we even thought. So today's episode is dedicated to our dear, dear Jimmy Chan. All right, guys, so we are starting. I have with me Charu Subramanian, who I've talked a lot about, um, but now she's here. The suspense is over. Hi, Charu. 
Hi, Lahari. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Um, I love how formal we're being here. Um, I know. But I will. This is not us for real. <laughs> no, it's not at all. Guys, yeah, like if I, I could not underline that statement more. Um, this is not us. In fact, um, Charu has seen me in many low points um, during the course as, of the relationship. As have you. As have you. Let's be real. <laughs> uh, yeah there's a safe space here of um historical embarrassment that we've witnessed and yeah one of them i remember i still to this day um remember that you are the girl who forever let me have a face and i say that because when we were in davis my aunt gave me a pressure cooker and i did not know i think she assumed i knew how to use it and I started cooking with it and I went to open it after it started steaming and whistling directly without giving it time to cool down, which I did not know you're supposed to do. And Charu, you ran into the room and you're like, you don't do that. You know how to use it, right? And you helped me figure out that like, if I did that, that shit would have exploded on my face and like sprayed hot lentils on me. And I probably would not be scraping smooth skin at all. So I just always thank you for that. I mean, what a day that was. And it's also rich just because, especially so people are aware, I am not someone who would could be mistaken for someone who's good in the kitchen. Like, I'm not a chef. I don't, like, really know my way around the kitchen beyond Vitamix. So <laughs> to have had that insight in that moment, to be like, here's how you turn off a pressure cooker. I'm so grateful that I knew that in that moment and watched my mom enough to know that. Um, because if you ask my husband now, he will tell you, that I don't know my way around a kitchen beyond a blender. So I'm I'm Rude. I'm just grateful I knew what to say it and do at that moment. <laughs> you know your specialties, Charlie, that's the thing. Um so I'll I'll start off a little bit, you know, fob shaming I kinda of talked about like it's not something that is um a term that you might read about, but it's something that we have sort of used as a way to talk about this concept and phenomena. Um, So when you look back into your childhood, when do you feel like your first recollection of fob shaming existed? I think I experienced it before I realized there was a name for it much, much earlier. So I would say as early as in sixth grade, I experienced it. Um, But I couldn't tell you what it was called for much for, you know, for much longer. Um, It was just something I accepted as like, this is this is, I guess, my life now. And looking back was probably like ninth grade, 10th grade ish when I realized, oh, this is a thing. This is something that happens to a a small Mm. section of people. And it's a type of bullying, if you want to call it. It's a type of just, yeah, just shame that you kind of endure. Um, But I didn't know what it was when it was actually happening. Yeah, I think that you've hit the nail on the head. Like some of these things are so invisible. Um, And I remember like at least for me when I first became aware of it was we had moved to India for a hey let's quickly try seeing if it works when I was uh, seven years old and I did second and third grade there and then we decided we'd move back because I sort of missed my friends here and they still had the option to do that but I came back with an accent um, and I came back with a little bit more Indian I don't know body language maybe um, there is this character that they kept calling me, um, a Sylvester from like the, you know, Looney Tunes. Cause I had sort of this like boyish, I sounded like an Indian boy, basically <laughs> with a Bob accent. It was super <laughs> sensual. Um, but obviously puberty is happening at that time. So 
I remember feeling the consciousness of being made fun of for sounding like that. And kids do that, you know, at that age anyway. But I took it really personally and it made me very conscious of my voice and how I sounded. Um, So I think that's the first time I remember feeling like, again, we didn't know all these cool terms then, but I certainly felt it to your point. So do you remember like an example or maybe a specific instance where that happened to you? I think the one that stands out the most for me is in sixth grade. So we had moved to, we had come to the U.S. first when I was like two years old or something. We'd been here for a while and then we went back to India and then we moved back permanently when I was starting sixth grade. And um, I distinctly remember this instant and I wish I knew why or why (laughs) this is so still vivid in my mind. Um, But we were, we, my parents were meeting with other Indian families and I met their like kids and we were all kind of in a room playing games and the game we were playing at that time was Pictionary and I had always thought I was a pro at Pictionary so I was excited to play like you know very like we'd been in the U.S. for I think maybe like a week or so at that point and again just my like image of what it was going to be like here was basically just candy raining from the sky skittles everywhere (laughs) just like you Barney hugs that Shaquille O'Neal movie, Kazam. <laughs> like, uh, probably. I mean, in sixth grade. So, just for context, like how bright-eyed and bushy-tailed um, this was. And we were playing a game, and like it wasn't going as I expected. I was having a hard time guessing. I was having a hard time like understanding what what they were doing and like what they were drawing. And it was my turn to draw. And the word that I had was shovel. I'd never heard that word before, or at least like maybe it was spelled differently. I'm not sure. Like, I just remember seeing that word and kind of panicking and not knowing what to do. And I was like trying to draw it and I couldn't figure out how to draw it and we lost. And I remember one of the girls being like, this is so pathetic. Like she doesn't even know the word shovel. We should, we should like go through all the cards and just pick the ones that she knows before we start this game because I can't lose again. And I remember shutting down instantly and being like no it's okay I'm, I'm I won't play with you guys anymore you guys can play I don't want to make our team lose and I like left and I went and hung out with the adults at that point but I remember in that moment just feeling like when did I become someone who didn't know English words like that's not a thing that I've associated with myself with my identity of who I am and that moment stood so stark that like someone felt the need to um I don't know provide extra guidance provide extra support or just get annoyed with my lack of knowledge um yeah it's just something that i can really really remember and again i didn't put it as a context of this is because i was fresh off the boat it was just something i thought it's a me thing and it's it's like i did something wrong i can't imagine how difficult that is at that age you know it's these small things that happen that have such a huge impact and like i you know, it's kind of interesting, right? If you're growing up in India, I, I'm not also sure how much you shovel in India, right? Like that's a very like American, <laughs> like you have a yard, you have a backyard, you like gardening is cute. Um, and uh, what was interesting to me was that you mentioned how like when you felt that separation from the group that you're supposed to hang out with, you went to the other group of adults to hang out with. And to me, some of these concepts of shame and especially fob shaming as we're referring to it is you know, where do I belong then, right? Like, what group do I sit with? What, where do I feel accepted? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I knew I wasn't supposed to be sitting with the adults, um, but it just felt like 
there was no other place to be at. And I just went and sat with them and they were then they started asking me questions about like, how has it been one week in school? Like, how do you like it? And, you know, at least it was a distraction and they engaged me in the conversation. They didn't ask why I left, which I was very grateful for. But yeah, it just kind of stays with you and, and you look back and maybe even now, like when I miss a question on the SATs or the GMAT, I, I think back about that, that moment where I was like, <laughs> this all started with the shovel. Totally. <laughs> so honestly, I don't even think she meant for it to be that hurtful. Yeah, she probably didn't. I can relate. Um, whether you're a kid or an adult, ahem. Um, you don't lose that competitive spirit at times and you just say or do things that you might not even realize how they're coming across as my sister continuously reminds me when we play board games. Um, but you know, what's interesting to me is actually like, I think I heard you say that this was an Indian group that you were hanging out with. Yeah, it was like other Indian families in the neighborhood, I think, or, or like some, some parent connection of sorts that I met them through. But they weren't so kids who went to my yeah they didn't they weren't the kids who went into my school they were just like you know in and around the city I would say probably like um, I didn't hang out with them outside of like those specific like you know Desi family settings totally I know we all had like our pockets of Desi family communities to help us feel more connected um, yeah but I also think it's really interesting that you know when we talk about fob shaming and. You know, I've sort of touched on this even in the introduction is at this point, it's also not to point fingers at American society per se, too, but it's also like our own people can create these tensions and no one's doing it because of their, you know, ill will. I think everyone's kind of on their journey, but this can pop up in either space, right? Have you found yourself ever being the shamer, right? Like it's easy for us to talk about like, uh, I was the victim of this. Um, but also, like, when have you felt like a conflict of like, am I that person? Oh, my God. I mean, I think that triggered so much for me. I started practicing having a very Americanized accent instantly. Like it was it was my goal to come off as Americanized in my accent as possible. Um, it wasn't perfect, but I think within like three months of moving here, I had kind of kind of perfected it, quote unquote. And if I heard my parents say something at home that didn't sound perfect, um, I corrected them instantly. And like, that isn't something you do in, how, yeah. in, in our households, right? You don't, you're like, I'm sure you feel similarly, like you don't correct your parents, your parents correct you. But yeah. that <laughs> like instant, per- <laughs> it's, it was like a slap, it was part of it was like fear, part of it was like protecting my parents. Because if I've been through this, I don't want them to go through it. Like, do they, like, it, you, like, weird role switching started to happen at that point. I became very, like, protective of my parents as I was protective of myself, too. And if they said something that I, like, knew in school wasn't the right way to pronounce something, immediately I'm like, that's not how you say it. This is how you say it. Right. And they're probably just like, this is a safe space. I'm in my home. But you have such a strong reaction. Exactly. Yeah. And, like, I remember one word or, like, a pronunciation word that I got corrected on was assume and I used to say assume and I had a friend he, he was definitely a friend who was like that is not how you say that word there's no z like why do you keep saying that the shock and the shame wave that it hit me and this was like much later and like this wasn't even like in seventh grade or something right this is like 10 years later and I was like what I thought I had fixed all my pronunciation <laughs> problems like it still exists like why is this hat like it still hits you and immediately I catch myself and I'm like okay cool got it and then I I, I still correct how my dad says Amazon 
all the time. And he's like, he's like, just give it up. I'm not going to change how I say it. And but I still like it's dad. It's Amazon. It's not Amazon. It's Amazon. Yeah. And he's probably like, girl, Bezos is going to be rich whether I pronounce it Amazon or Amazon. (laughs) But like, that's one of those things. Like, is this about them or is it about you? Right. Like that reaction when I, I always think like if I'm reacting so strongly to something that seems like pretty mild, then probably saying something about me. So like in those moments, it's bringing out all those, correct me if I'm wrong, but like those feelings of not feeling like you're saying it the right way, not feeling accepted, being the other. And you project all of that on your parent, right? Who they're like, I'm just trying to live. I don't really give a fuck. And you know how I say this word um, in front of my kids, like, you know, so it like, never really goes away. But I think now the reaction shifts where you accept yourself more and you're like, okay, well, maybe I was just confused. Um, but before I was like, take my citizenship away from me. I don't know if I deserve it. So ultimately, you're just really hard on yourself for no reason. And then also your parents, which I continuously just feel like, why? Yeah. I mean, even on this call, like I am still conscious, like when I hear it back or someone else is going to hear it, I'm worried that I'm going to be pronouncing something completely off and I'm going to get a text message or someone be like, um, it's so-and-so, not so-and-so. And it's, 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 it's one of those things that just like lives with you forever and ever. Isn't that amazing though? Like to live with that type of editing, like, can you imagine if you lived a life where you weren't constantly editing yourself? What would your life be like? I would have so much more energy to think about so many other things. Yeah. Um, it, it just, it, it does take up so much space in your mind and, and, and body because you are constantly aware that you are not going to be seen as in, right? Like you're always going to be the other. Um, it's gonna take generations for that to change. And therefore you're always trying to protect who you are, where you fit in, creating space for yourself, making sure that space feels inclusive for other people, but knowing that you're flawed the whole time, like just accepting that you're flawed, but still trying to be this perfect person. It's just not possible, but um, it never is. Right. (laughs) Yeah. You know, looking back when I became deeply immersed with this sort of, quote, fob culture was around middle school and high school when there was sort of this sudden wave of content that was around us being fobs as Indian Americans. And it was in the forum as parodies and music. Like, I think there was this two duo, um, Pari and Harvin. Um, and they released these songs like Welcome to India, like a play on Ludacris's song or um, HTML codes instead of like hose in different area codes. And they were funny. Right. And so it also led to certain the uptick of Lily Singh, the rise of Russell Peters it was when Just Rain kind of started to come out. Um, you would see these shows at universities where they would do Bollywood competitions and intersperse with these types of videos that played on that character. And it was different from the like Apu type of Simpsons character where it was more of like a Indian quote fob that you would recognize by Indian people. But nonetheless, like if you can hear this theme of 
it all contributed to some kind of unity, right? So like all of a sudden as Indian Americans, we had something to come together with and say like, oh my gosh, like me too. I shared that experience. Like, like I too had yogurt tins in my fridge that didn't actually have yogurt or I too was told that A minuses weren't good enough. So it it is sort of a way to connect. But at the same time, I look back and I wonder like, gosh, why did we have to put down ourselves and our families in order to feel more emboldened to come together um and or is that a part of the like sort of passage of rights to get through that and process so in your opinion is that something that you look back on and you're like that served a good purpose or we actually were part of the problem Ooh, um so many so many feelings on that um well i think it's taken me a long time to realize kind of the process of what has happened and how I have dealt with it and how I want to deal with it consciously because a lot of the decisions I've made up until a certain point had been very unconscious and I'm sure even now I have unconscious biases towards things that I need to train myself to think differently about. Um, I definitely grew up rejecting a lot of it just because of how hard it was for me to embrace it growing up. Like I, I didn't you know, you, I, I didn't have this identity of being Indian American or Indian anymore. I, get, I, I kind of just became this other that I didn't know how to fit into any of the crowds where I'd been in the U.S. long enough, but I didn't feel quite American enough. Or in my mind, I thought I was, but everyone else told me I wasn't. And so I, I felt like I had to choose a side. And I chose becoming American as like my goal. And pretty soon after we moved here and I, and I got settled in, once my accent started changing, I, I was very consciously, actively rejecting everything that had to do with Indian culture. Um, and, and that was like a very important thing so that I could become to what you're saying, like an Indian American, right? Like I didn't have that luxury of being saying that I even had this group to like fit in with. Um, so I was just trying so hard to figure out where to fit in, where to belong, because being Indian just got me teased more and more like that didn't give me any like comfort zone um and then trying to be American it was constantly also just like a struggle because I was always getting things wrong I just didn't have anyone to like give me a guidebook to figure out how to be quote-unquote American um so I think it's been a weird journey I, I guess that's the best way to put it and like you know I've, I've kind of reclaimed some of it in the latter part of my life but I didn't I didn't feel myself associating with with one if that if that helps or answers your question absolutely does and it inspires like 50 other thoughts but to focus myself um it is really interesting to me at such young ages having to choose sides right like we joke about like oh choosing your major at such a young age what do you know like can you imagine picking a culture at such an early age um and i admire people who are able to be more secure with themselves but I think the contrast happens is because you come to a household, you're like you're leaving a household where it's like the warmth and circle of Indian American culture. And then you come to school, right? Like that's usually the sort of playground of our experiences growing up and where this gets challenged and you have to fit in and assimilate. And I think in those, you just try to start to protect yourself um, and like how, right? Like, oh yeah. How isolating is that? <laughs> and I was doing a terrible job of it. Let me be like very clear. Like I, my idea of what it would need to fit in was just so hilarious. Like I wore a corduroy overalls with oh Pooh Bear God. on it in seventh grade and eighth grade. Like is there a picture of this. <laughs> no, just like, no, 
Oh, there is. There are so many pictures, but they will not see the day of light. Um, or light of day, rather. See? That's another phrase. I'm going to think yeah. about this for, like, days. I'm like, why did I say day of light? Why couldn't you say light of day? Um, but, yeah, no, it, it's like I tried, but I was, to your point, like, I had this comfort at home that I craved at school, but I couldn't get it. So, like, trying to waddle between these two worlds, I didn't do a good job of anything, really. Like, I didn't really... No one would look at me and be like, mm, she's so American. And no one would look at me and be like, mm, she's definitely just from India. Like, I just didn't fit into either bucket because I was trying to, like, find the space that wasn't there for me. And I'm very, like, happy to see that space exists for people today. In, in Like, the young kids here today are, are, are creating that space for themselves. And I think social media has kind of allowed them to be who they are and, and, and embrace that in much more like helpful and healthy ways than what you know you probably had and definitely I had we didn't have that option um so yeah I tried to fit in but I looked ridiculous with my velour corduroy maroon honestly throw on a pair of hipster glasses and you'd be a like style rocker (laughs) now so (laughs) I hope you bring that back at some point I actually want to touch on that a little bit more that feeling of the other and that isolation that comes from shame. Um, and I, has there been a time like that? Like, can you remember a vivid story from your experience where you did have that isolation? I have a couple. I mean, one's kind of funny, I guess. And that would be trying to go to school dances. I didn't know what a school <laughs> dance was. Um, and everyone was going and everyone was getting like excited about this and I was just so wanting to be part of that scene without knowing in the slightest bit what a school dance even was Um, but I but I was like there's a thing that's happening at school after school and I want to go mom and dad and they were like okay and I was like there's a ticket I have to buy and like I like had to really like make a case for me to get this money for this ticket because it wasn't it wasn't just like my parents weren't just able to just throw around ten dollars for a school ticket like that wasn't something we were doing back then um and and they were like okay sure and like i think they were also really scared because just like i was in this new environment you know looking back they were too they didn't have the support that they needed to understand what school systems here were like and you know before but in india like they knew everything about every mm-hmm. school system i was in and and they knew like every teacher the teachers would come to our house um and here they were just like kind of trusting me over to this this new ent- entity and it's they kind of had to take social me ritual right of the american culture that might not be familiar or t- yeah. even relatable like you know I, looking back i have a lot more empathy but like at that point i was like just give me ten dollars like i want to go to school dance <laughs> while i have no idea what a school dance is so i just stayed back at school did homework and then i went to the gymnasium for school dance didn't realize that like kids went home and like got dressed up and like came back with a date (laughs) and here i am standing like at a corner looking at kids dance just songs i had never heard of before and like just so comfortable with like each other in a way that i had never felt um and i went and called my parents from the guidance counselor's office like about maybe 30 minutes in i was like yep dance is over come pick me up but like come to this one spot i had to tell them a spot where they i didn't think they would hear the music so they could come pick me up and my parents came and they picked me up and they were like how was it i was like great never went to another school dance again like it was it it was just like 
so isolated. Like, there was no one for me to talk to, no one to, like, help me understand. Like, you don't just go to a school dance with t-shirt and jeans or your, you know, velour corduroy jumpsuits. Um, you, like, <laughs> put bear. effort into it. But, like, Pooh Bear is not the thing you wear to a school dance. It was not something I knew. It so that was a really very... great pickup line, though. Just imagine. Insert <laughs> honey pun. <laughs> unfortunately kids weren't that punny those days they were just very literal um but you know I remember that so well and I was just like school dances were never something I brought up again until you know senior year prom but it just it was one experience and that's all I needed to be like yep not my scene this is not how I'm gonna fit in and just kind of like left that out of my like totally social experiments you know for the future that makes me also so sad to hear that you couldn't talk to your parents about it, right? Like, like there's sort of, like, these interesting nuances to this. Like, no one is going to teach us what a school dance is. Maybe unless you have a friend that, like, luckily tells you, right, like, this is exactly what you do. But also that requires a lot of self-awareness of us to be like, hey, I don't know what this is, right? Like, we're always, like, I think looking back, I would say, like, there's a little bit of that embarrassment of, like, why don't I know? I should just figure it out myself. So you go through that first learning experience, whatever it costs you. And your parents, too, right? Like, these are the people that we're so involved with. Typically, our Indian families can be, not all, right? Like, very involved and maybe sometimes too involved. And um, you talk about everything, but then you might not be able to just talk about a dance. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, thinking about my difficulty, I can only imagine how hard it must have been for my parents to as we talked about, like, trusting me over to a new system, but also not knowing how to be there to support us because they're operating from a sense of unknown just as much as we are operating from a sense of unknown. And, you know, looking back, I have a lot more empathy, but back then I wish I had the maturity to say like, Hey mom and dad, I went to this thing. I didn't like it. This is how it felt. What do you think? There was, you know, you were, we're kids and we didn't have that thought formation fully done. And so I'm so grateful. My parents had the patience with me, had the patience with all my ups and downs as adjusting to the new culture. And even with the adjustment, still try to instill in me the importance of giving value to our Indian culture, which, you know, as I've mentioned, like, I really had a hard time accepting it and being a part of once we moved here. Um, But yeah, you're right. Like, it's really hard for them to talk about it because they also don't know what to say and what we would be okay with hearing them say. And, And I feel bad and I'm so grateful and thankful that they had patience more than anything with me as I kind of figured out my own footing through all of this. I was going to say that's like probably very relatable for anyone who's balancing multiple identities and you're trying to figure out like I don't belong I I don't feel fully I shouldn't say belong but this is something that I'm not really in tune with or intuitively in touch with and so I feel like another. I don't feel like I'm part of the main the stream of what everyone else is doing. Um and that can be, you know, whether you're it's Indian American or any other type of conflict between identities, I think so challenging. And um, it just becomes, again, internalized where I think sometimes you don't tell anyone. So you just keep talking to yourself about it. And we're unreliable narrators, right? Like when we were talking about earlier, like editing our own, the way we speak, like what a painful existence to be in to constantly be like going through these struggles by yourself. Um, yeah, putting yourself down. Like I definitely relate to like the direct dance story. I 
similarly like had no idea first dance of sixth grade the sixth graders started at like 3 30 or 4 it was like super early whoa um, that's yeah. early <laughs> it was so like tame for sixth graders and then the seven and eighth graders had the like 7 p.m. dances or whatever. So um, we were like cute kids and we went to the gym as well, uh, gym as well, or the multi-purpose room. Um, and I remember feeling like multiple levels of shame because I went there similarly did not know the music. I did not know how to dance the way that everyone was dancing. I was not being asked to slow dance. And that was like a huge hunger game situation in our at least like how I remember it where you're like oh my god like no one wants to dance with me so I had my group of friends who were like fantastic like women um who you know back then we were all girls but um I started to slowly get comfortable they were kind of like all right come on and so I started moving and I was like wow like I can do this American dance thing and I felt (laughs) so good and like hot in my like three-foot sleeve LEI shirt that was like bright red with yeah you did yeah (laughs) and all of a sudden like when I'm just getting into my like comfort and like letting go of that shame the vice principal taps my shoulder who's this like big guy like no one's like oh who where did he go like everyone sees him and he's like oh Lahari your father is um here to pick you up he's right here oh my god yeah and he's like behind literally those movies were like two groups of crowds part and he's at the door and he's watching me and he's like i can see this in my mind (laughs) he's like mildly amused in his like 90s corporate gear where all the clothes are baggy and like um, and so i like go up and i'm like dad like what are you doing here and he's like oh i just wanted to pick you up like I didn't know where to pick you up. So I just picked you up here. And I was like, you talked to the vice principal. Like, could you have done anything else more socially suicidal? And it's not like my dad walked in with like a lungi, right? Like a lungi is like a South Indian. <laughs> if if only. <laughs> yeah, if only, right? But I was so humiliated for like no reason. And then like, as we're walking out, he's like, hey, you're like a good dancer. And then that made me feel mm. so ashamed because I was like, oh my God, my dad saw me Western dancing. Is that okay? Yeah. Oh my god i mean to to give a flip side of like that like the, the opposite of the isolation event though to your point when i got invited to go to halloween and again i went to three halloweens i as far as i can remember every year is the same costume as growing up and that was an indian princess because it was readily available in my closet just like <laughs> put on an indian like you know like langa set and then like put some jewelry on your forehead and you're like i'm a princess yo let's get this yeah. party rocking but when I'm you Jasmine. do get invited um, yeah, like when you do get invited and you have these friends to go with, the contrast that it brings into your life where you're like, oh my God, this is what it is. This is what it's all about. Like having people invite you to come do something with them. It, it just like blows every other like terrible situation out of the water though. You know, like do you, I, I loved hearing that like your friends were inviting you to like enjoy this like social phenomenon that you would have felt so uncomfortable to be a part of otherwise but they were like no come like enjoy and you like realize something about yourself being a good dancer you know of course the dad part of it is very much mortifying but there are some really good things that came out of it too where like it boosts your self-esteem it like gives you a little bit more of a pep in your step and you're like i'm i made it like i got invited to this thing and people want to go with me somewhere that's such a luxury at this point yeah, and it takes away sometimes, too, this credit that these people deserve of, you know, they're just being human and friendly and, like, t- you know, being social, Kids. inviting a friend. Yeah, um, and, but there's this sort of strange debt we feel as if they sponsored us in the States 
where they like were reached out and I feel forever indebted to this one girl specifically Kelly who made me feel really welcome in Pleasanton California which was very majority white it really made me very conscious of my differences and so I just always appreciate her and I I have to say like a lot of these things are really self-inflicted like I think back to sixth grade and I was in this class with Kelly that's how I met her Mm And um, for one of them, we did a chapter on India. So I got really into it. It simultaneously lined up with my obsession with Ashoka, the movie, with Shah Rukh Khan and Karina Kapoor. It's very historically inaccurate, but... um, About as inaccurate as a movie could be. Like, the heights of inaccuracy in that movie (laughs) is just another level. But yes, sorry, please continue. Oh, no, no, no. You are totally right to inject there because I'm like... While I would recommend the movie for the visuals, the music, the touches on the historical part, it's not a historical biography by any means. But I showed the end scene at class and I like dressed up. I had my mom like stitch a sort of like Hogwarts meets Indian royalty sort of situation. And I kind of talked about this chapter in history of Ashoka and Buddhism. And then I also like show the movie and everyone was just like, I mean, you're in sixth grade. You're like, cool. This is like sweet brown guy. Cool Buddhism. Um, but then I am like so conscious the whole time. I'm like watching every face in the room to see like, is anyone responding to this like negatively? Right. Like, oh, people must be feeling so like, oh, this is so embarrassing. Bollywood. And it's so much of my own, you know, like self-hatred. I, I'm going to that I feel like I was putting on myself. Oh, I mean, absolutely. Self-hatred is such a, you know, definitely a visceral part of growing up. Um, When you experience this kind of shame, it like it kind of goes hand in hand for sure. And it's hard. It's very hard. And you can we can look at it and be objective on this side now that we've had time to process. We've had time to kind of like think through it. But I can definitely relate to that in so many experiences as well. So. No, that's such a that's such an important point that you shared. No, I appreciate that. And, you know, like one of the things that I also like as we were preparing for this, I started to kind of look into like this has to serve some purpose. This type of when we talk about self-hatred and shame, like these things have to be part of the human experience, right? Like no one goes without these. Um, And there was a really interesting article I found based on a book by Joseph Burgo called Shame Free Yourself, Find Joy and Build True Self-Esteem. And what I found really interesting is he talks about how shame is, you know, typically thought of as toxic, but it actually is a force of good for social cohesion. So like if you think about like evolutionary kind of what's the purpose of this feeling, negative feelings tend to give some kind of purpose. So like power of pain, you you burn your hand on the stove, you don't touch it again, you know, you feel like your back is hurting when you're carrying this thing. So it tells you stop carrying this heavy thing similarly mm-hmm. it's a uh, shame apparently he talks about how shame can be really good because it makes you very um conscious of if i feel this pain in terms of the social situation then how do i want to examine this and you then at least like use that shame towards not breaking away from your tribe or the norm or society but the difference is, you know, before I'm like, oh my God, fob shaming is great. Uh, What it means is that there's a difference between productive shame and toxic shame. And I think the 
kind of unfortunate part that I'm hearing about our, you know, maybe childhoods is there's a lot of toxic shame that really only who loses, right? It's us. And like, yeah, the journey of kind of shifting towards productive shame is at least what I aspire to achieve in this phase of our lives. 100%. I mean, that's such a such a great point you just brought up. I, I spend, I would say, decades in, in toxic shame. Um, and that has had effects like effects not just on me, but on my social circle and also the experience I choose to be a part of or I choose to not be a part of because I'm scared of the toxic shame I've already experienced. And exactly to your point, no one loses more than us. Um, But it is so much easier said than done to move that from toxic to productive. And it's it's a long journey and, and thank God for therapists who can understand and help you process through that. But it is something that, just like you said, I'm trying to be on that journey and, and switch it from one to the other. And I'm glad we have these terms. I'm, I'm glad we have this kind of understanding in today's space. I'm glad there are you know, podcasts like this that you're just hosting to help people bring light into something they may have experienced before and they just didn't know how to process through that. But it's very difficult to to be honest and it's a very long journey to go from one extreme to the other um but you know i've signed up for it and i'm going to go on that journey the totally. best i can <laughs> i absolutely and and there's a part of it where you were ball and told right like you were born indian american or you know born indian and then gone about this path of indian american but there's a lot that we can also control um and i think that's kind of what we're realizing is like we're not victims to this situation that we found ourselves in. So, you know, when we think about that nuance between or conflict between productive shame and toxic shame, is there something when you look back that you used to use towards toxic shame and now you've transformed that relationship to become productive shame? Um, 100% my relationship with food and natural ingredients. I mean, I'm sure your household is similar to mine where we grew up on like traditional Ayurvedic kind of foods where it was, you know, turmeric and lentils and things that were really, really hard for people to understand back in like the 90s and 2000s. It was it doesn't have the same clout that it has today. Um, and so when I would take it to school, was bullied mercilessly and I just like shunned it right like I was just like nope it's gonna be bread and jelly to work just a sandwich every day like I cannot do this anymore I just need to have a seat at the table and no one like crinkle their nose at my food and I just (laughs) gave up on all of it like I just gave up on all Indian food I was like mom if you're not gonna give me pasta or a sandwich for lunch like I'm not eating like I'm not gonna have lunch anymore and there she was trying to be like please stop eating all this processed food eat natural food here's what we made for dinner like if you look back, like all the things that we talk about today about importance of plant-based food, you know, I grew up with that at home and like having gluten-free food if that was a necessity. I had that option at home. There were a lot of gluten-free meals I could eat. But because there wasn't a term for it, because it wasn't a cool, hip, like, you know, accepted thing, I just was like absolutely not no way in hell will I eat any of this at school. Everything is stained yellow from the turmeric. I cannot handle the stress. And yeah. it was really, really, it was really difficult for my parents. I'm sure it was probably similar for you, where like my mom was making one thing oh, for yeah. her and my dad and then something else for me to eat. I think that's something I've been reclaiming for myself since 2009-ish, where I was like, 
some for some reason, sadly, instead of hearing it from my parents, I had to hear it from the outside society of being like, oh, there is a lot of value in putting turmeric in your face, in your food. There is a lot of value in adding neem to your face, to your food that I just didn't value when it came out of my parents, but I valued it a lot more when it was written in a magazine or in a book or Teen Vogue told me to do it. Um, so I look back at it and I, part of me is very sad, but I also accept that because it was... At that time, I just wanted to fit in so desperately that I didn't have an option. I didn't have the capacity to go to school and be like, um, by the way, turmeric is going to be so popular in like 10 years. Just right. you wait and watch. Um, so that was kind of like for me. But what about for you? How have you changed toxic shame to productive shame? Yeah, I'd love to address that. But I before, like, it's so ripe to respond to what you just said. Like, I cannot plus one that more than like, I like. I can't emphasize I you know now it's interesting sometimes my dad makes fun of you know looking back I would make fun of them similarly for the foods and really fight over what I was taking for lunch and now he knows that so he taunts me rightfully so this is his revenge for making fun of him for all these years but our favorite game to play is I'll call them. They live in India, as you know, and I'll be like, oh, what'd you guys have for dinner? And I'll have had like scrambled eggs. Um, and my dad's like, oh, you know, we just had like fob food, you know, like this really great sambar soup. <laughs> we, your mom made some chicken curry. Oh, I think you know, it's so painful to eat such good chutneys and dosas for breakfast. Someone's got to do it, man. <laughs> And like, I'm getting hungry. <laughs> exactly. And I'm like crying from my mouth, like drooling. And then also from my eyes, like the tears of like, oh my gosh, to eat my mom's roti again. Um, and so I think like that, like now I could not feel more like, okay, that's fair. You can make fun of me. Um, but to your point, like, how are you supposed to be an entrepreneur at that age? Like, what would it, I don't really know if anyone would also be like, but Charu and Lahari, they knew that turmeric was on the rise. Yeah, right? <laughs> some voiceover. <laughs> my dad knew. Here's the funny thing. My dad has this phrase that I hate it. And I like, it It literally says, if I translate it, it's in, in Tamil, it's like, which means like, does the yeah. donkey know the, the, the beauty of camphor smell? Meaning me, the donkey not knowing the beauty of like the good Indian food um, and he would say that phrase all the time whenever my mom would come to me and be like or put this turmeric on your face or put this neem on your face or like eat this food it's so good for you have some like you know hot milk with some turmeric in it and I would be like ew gross and my dad would say that phrase and it became like this parallel association in my head and every time I buy something that's like very traditional or make something at home I hear it. I hear his like phrase in my head taunting me being like, well, does the donkey know how good camper smells? And I'm just like, <laughs> what does that even mean? And clearly, no, the donkey didn't know. The donkey knows better now. But it's it's you're so right. Like it's we deserve it. Like I, I deserve that. I deserve to hear that. I know. And, and you know, that's kind of where you realize like the amount like all those psychological studies of like the biggest influence for a teenager is not their parents, but their peers. And so I think like that piece is so relevant at that point you just don't care you're just like I don't know maybe this is a problem for future Charu Sashlahari I will just deal with this now where I just need to belong and like you know sit at a lunch table and not lose face so there is a purpose it serves but it's okay to again like to your point earlier like it's a productive shame right like you realize you acknowledge like what you did wrong I think it's very fair for our parents to humble us continuously till we are 90 years old um but I think like now yeah it's a very different relationship and you had asked me what it was for me and I think the neutralization of like this 
polarity I had between the U.S. being sort of better than India in some ways. So I'm really ashamed to admit, but there are times where growing up, especially traveling to India, I'd be like, oh, but like we're so clean. Um, you know, the, the traffic is more organized in the U.S. The government isn't corrupt. We're perfect. Um, there's no, you know, like conflict with civil rights and women's, pro- you know, rights. And so I now have been very quickly, like, you know, over the last five years and especially this year, very much realizing like there that shame didn't serve me anything. It, I think, helped me feel more American maybe in that time. But now understanding with a more like imagine you know like hormones right your hormones have like stabilized and you're like they're just the same problems in the u.s but in very different ways india has its own opportunities no one is better than the other they're both you know on their journey you know taking into account their historical context and how they started off so i think that's something that like that's such a that's yeah i just want to pause it because that's such an incredible point which i don't think you will be alone in. i i've definitely felt that like you know, there was obviously that was part of their need for me to be like, I have to be more Americanized because it felt like being Indian was not a good thing. Right. And that mm-hmm. mindset that we were in. Um, and so that's incredible that you've had that that moment of reckoning. And, and I think a lot of us, myself included, are all kind of coming to that understanding in the recent years of how our biases have worked in our head where we've believed that like another country is not as good as being in America. Um, and we're all having to reckon with that and realize that eh, that might not be the case. Absolutely. I think what I realized is, you know, um, in communications, we talk about like, what are you writing that could be distracting from the point that you're saying? And I feel like this is similar where a lot of these stories that I wrote for myself about like who, where the shame, where it was coming from and the stories about who was better or like more superior, which again, who am I to judge? But um, those were distracting me from the real work, which was instead of immediately rejecting or making fun of one or the other, acknowledge and respect both, but you get this choice to pick and choose what you would like to prefer as a personal preference. All right, so I know we've had the luxury of time to cover this, but if I had to say someone has 10 seconds to listen to this, what is Charu Subramanian's takeaway? about fob shaming what is your point of view i think fob shaming is something that you just almost couldn't avoid at that time i'm hoping it's something we can't avoid in the future years you know as we become more aware and as we're giving these things labels and names and for my own self i've had to accept it as something that was really integral part of my growth and my learning and my journey because it has made me that much more conscious and aware of the blessings I have in my life. Even the fact that I have this respect for, you know, our food and our like ingredients and and, like love for natural practices has come because I had such a visceral reaction at a different point. And I don't know if I would appreciate the same way that I do now um, if I hadn't gone through that. So it, it sucked going through it, you know, but at the same time, I'm, I don't know if it's grateful is the right word, but I'm accepting of the fact that it happened and I'm trying to find what growth I can find out of it. So my takeaway from that, again, not being 10 seconds short, unfortunately, is... That was a long shot. <laughs> find, yeah, I know. Find what you can to take the positive out of it because for me, that's important. Like I have to find something optimistic out of 
experiences and and this is kind of how I've landed on it totally I love that I think I would echo that it's really painful to think I have so much regret about some of the things that I did or it just it really with my parents to be honest you know how I sort of made them feel or acted about feeling fob where there's really nothing to be ashamed of that's who we are um and we're really yeah. proud of it right but um to your also point earlier is that it is part of the journey and I think one thing I do want to practice in addition to that regret and acknowledgement to move forward is also forgiveness of myself that like shame and all these negative emotions really do come from a place that bring you closer to the truth um it's more like Mm -hmm. how you heal from it and also then turn around and speak about it and do things so i'm hoping to lead with a little bit more empathy and forgiveness whether it's to ourselves (laughs) or others So I told y'all I love icebreaker type games and so I had to, you know, I had to do something like that. And so we're going to do a rapid fire round that I'm going to call Chup Chup, which in Hindi means hush hush or quiet quiet, because some of these questions will be, you know, scandalous or they won't be. Um, They might just be fun and quirky. So I'm really excited to try it with Charu as my first guest. Are you ready? I hope so. (laughs) All right. Number one, who was your first crush that you told both your parents about? Both of them. My then boyfriend, now husband, um, was the first person I told both my parents about. And yeah, I mean, it was weird because my parents had very different reactions. My dad kind of laughed and my mom was like, that's not thing. Like, you're not dating someone. Like, how could you be (laughs) dating someone? And I was just like, well, I am. We've been long distance and it is a real thing. And she had seen a photo of me and him in my keychain in a heart-shaped keychain of the two of us together and still hadn't like thought anything of it um which was i am floored both surprising <laughs> yeah i know i'm just like how um but yeah i told them and they had yeah very different reaction my dad was just like could not stop laughing and he was like i cannot someone's dating you like what's happening here <laughs> and my mom was like how could you not tell me from like the moment you met him and I was just like I don't know mom like I wasn't sure what this was gonna be um but well oh, here well, we are I'm so dead. it all worked out well according to your parents you have a hundred percent success rate the man you date ends up being your husband <laughs> uh yeah I guess it's a hundred percent for them wait so I want to know what's your story so for both of them um <laughs> Honestly, this is kind of a sad story because it was my first boyfriend, which was in college, um, and they saw a picture. It all went about a very um, dramatic way where they, someone in our family relative group saw my profile picture change to me and him. That word got around, and then they were like, who is this dude? And I was so tempted to just make something up, but I'm so bad at lying. So it was like, well, it's my guy I'm hanging out with, I'm dating. Um, and my dad told me to dump him immediately. So, <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> Second favorite time of day in India. What What is your favorite day of light, Charu? Day of light. <laughs> um, <laughs> my light of day. It is uh, actually early morning. So I'm I'm a very much an early morning person, and I would I would love visiting whenever I visited India, seeing kind of like the prayer services start in our household. So my grandmother would wake up and start praying and like meditating in the morning. Um, My uncle would like get up super early to go collect flowers and like start his prayer session. And there was just something about that, the smell, the sounds, like it's the most pleasant way to wake up. It's not an alarm, but you wake up and you're just kind of 
zen without doing anything just observing people and that's my favorite part of the day um next question when we think of jimmy chan our dear jimmy chan what do you think he would say about fob shaming so jimmy chan is like the most zen person i've ever met in my life that i don't think he would take two seconds to even acknowledge it he would be like this is who i am this is me and there ends the story like that's it he wouldn't he would not spend time precious time wasted on like fob shaming at all you're right he would have come to this conclusion even before we did (laughs) i think we kind of touched on this but what is a fob thing that you considered that you now reclaimed i don't know if i ever let it go but i've always been really into bharatanatyam which is like indian ballet and i've i never let it go to reclaim it but it's something i'm very proud of like i loved learning i loved dancing i loved you know performing the classical style um and I, I guess I miss it a lot more than reclaiming. I really miss the opportunity to perform Bharatanatyam um, these days. Um, what is the best thing, in your opinion, about being two identities? I mean, this is a very latent discovery, if you can call it that. But I, I realize that I get to choose the best of two worlds that make sense for me in the life that I'm living at the moment. Um, you know, I can choose what works and I'm and I'm given that you know platter of knowledge to choose what works between these two cultures that I straddle constantly um that works for me now and I think that that's the best thing about being into different identities and make my own really that's it's uh, just make my own identity at this point Uh, my therapist would love that answer by the way um completely (laughs) agree Um, and I think that's a really great way to end on that. Um, but thank you so much, Charu. I could talk about this with you all day. And I feel like we have spent a lot of days talking about these types of concepts. Yeah. But it's just so great to talk to you in this space. Um, and I can't appreciate you enough for being open about it and sharing your stories. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to see all the different topics you cover and also to meet all of your other really badass women that you bring Heck on this yeah. pod- <laughs> podcast it's going to be great i think it's a great session for you know everyone to kind of like turn, tune into with every session we're going to like uncover more things and i'm really excited to learn from your journey and and kind of add it to my own oh thank you it's very mutual so that's our episode for this week and i wanted to take a moment to spotlight a um organization, artist, musician, or literature, you get the picture um, by an Indian American or South Asian. And this week, I wanted to highlight this um, account called All of Us Books. They're on Instagram. Their website goes live next week. And they are offering personalization of children's books celebrating DC culture one page at a time. I love their story. I reached out to them and they talked about how they would go on these trips with their families as kids and look at the souvenir shops. And I mean, how many of us can relate to this? If you have a unique name of any sort, you don't see your name in the Sarah's and Adams. And they realized growing up, they would have loved a little bit more representation. And I couldn't think of a more appropriate thing that would have helped in some of our processing of fob culture and shaming Um, and feeling like we were a little bit more seen and perhaps we could accept ourselves. So check them out and I'll see you next week.